What's up? What's going on? I'm so grateful that you're here. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that will or maybe has impacted you as a parent. If your kids are living at home, this is something that's going to happen at some point. Hopefully, it's inevitable. Hopefully, it's your goal. Hopefully, you see it as a success. Nonetheless, it's also kind of, well, not kind of, it can be really painful. And for some, it can be absolutely debilitating and depressing, but it doesn't need to be. And I hope it isn't that way for you. I really do. And I'm hoping that with today's episode, I can share with you some tips, some things that you can be doing now, if in fact this is happening in the next couple of years, or maybe in the next couple of months or the next couple of weeks, maybe you tuned into this episode because you're dealing with it right now. You are in the middle of that empty nest syndrome, you know, where you, you're just, you feel like there's a hole in your heart and you kind of don't know what to do. This episode's for you. All right, let's get to it. Let's start with the poem. Oh, how the years go by. Oh, how the time can certainly fly. From once just a thought in faraway dreams, now in my arms and in my eyes you gleam. The presence of you, your laughter and smiles, which go on for miles, warms my heart and my soul. You're growing up so fast as I wish each moment with you would last. Forever, my little boy will someday be a man, and right by your side I will forever stand. I will pick up the pieces when you fall. I will hold your hand and help you stand tall. And when the day comes, when you are on your own, never feel that you are alone. No matter how near or far apart, I will always be right there in your heart. Always remember, whatever you go through and no matter what, I will always love you. That poem was written by Amy R. Campbell. I found a couple of other really beautiful poems that they were just so sweet. I couldn't get through them without crying. So I was like, okay. I can get through this one. (laughs) It's emotional, you know, and it just, it reminded me of how hard it was to hold it together when our oldest, when Brock left for college. And, And so today's episode, maybe you're in the preparation stages. Maybe your kids are, I don't know, really young, but you're already freaking out thinking about this happening someday. And by the way, if you're that mom who, when your kid went to their first day of kindergarten, you bawled your head off. I'm telling you, when they leave the house for good, you know, when they move out, it's going to be tough. So, like, we need to, like, toughen you up now, right? Okay, mom or dad. Like, this can affect dads sometimes way harder than it does sometimes the moms. And for whatever reason, society, we like, we always assume that it's going to be the mom who's torn up and dad's just going to be tough and handle it or whatever. But, I mean, if you know of a dad who's really close with one or both of their kids or all their kids or whatever, or they're going to struggle in some way, or maybe they are struggling, or maybe they had a child just leave, please send them this episode because I I think anyone who's a parent will find it helpful. I hope that you will. I intentionally avoided naming this episode anything about empty nesters because I will touch on that a little bit. But what I want to talk about is the emotion that you feel when a child leaves home and you might not be an empty nester. You might have five kids and maybe the oldest is still at home and maybe your middle child just moved out and it's a very difficult thing. It's not about just having an empty nest. It's about a child leaving. And why is that so emotional when that's our goal? Like we brought this 
tiny little bundle of joy home from the hospital, and we knew that that was the objective. And there was probably a time when you were overwhelmed and didn't get enough sleep, and it was expensive to raise kids, and it was stressful, and there were so many sacrifices. You didn't get to do the things you wanted to do. You could never close your eyes. You could never relax. You could never sit down, and you just dreamed of the day when you would be retired or you would be free and your kids would be adults and they would be taking care of you. And as they say, when you are a parent, the days, the hours are very, very long, but the years are so fast. My dad and my mom would always say that to me. They're like, you'll see someday, someday you will understand. And I just, when they would say that, it felt like, yeah, maybe like 100 years from now. Like it's so, so, so far away. And then all of a sudden we blinked and Brock was leaving. And then we blinked again and Sierra was leaving. So the way I want to organize this episode is I, I want to talk about the feelings that you're going to feel, maybe some of the do's and don'ts. And then I'm going to go back and talk about what you can do to prepare for those of you who aren't yet there. And then lastly, I'm going to address some things you can do if you're in it and you're feeling it and it's heavy and and you want to know when you're going to feel better. All right. So first, let's just talk about the reality of it. And you, you're going to have to face this. Everyone feels it. Your dogs are going to feel it. Your pets are going to feel it. Even if there's you know five kids and, and one leaves, there's less laundry. There are fewer groceries. And these things might seem like positives, but they're all reminders and the balance is slightly off. I mean, just think about if you ever had roommates, maybe you went to college and you had roommates and, and then like one roommate moves out. It's like the whole energy of the house feels different. How you relate to the other members of your family changes. And there are certain situations that make this even more challenging. For example, if you are a single parent, if you have a only child, if you have more than one child and your siblings, those siblings are very, very close. If the child that leaves first is kind of like, I don't know, the, the light in the house or the comedian in the house or the one that kept the peace or the one that organized, like they, they played a very kind of instrumental role in the family dynamic that can make this incredibly challenging. I say all that because this is a form of grief. It's very much a form of ambiguous grief. Now, if you did not listen to that episode and you're feeling that grief, that sense of loss, I want you to go back and listen to the episode. I will post a link to it in our show notes to the episode that I did exploring the concept of ambiguous grief. You will likely experience ambiguous grief when a child leaves, leaves the house. Maybe they are going away to college. Maybe they're just moving out and getting their own apartment just down the street. It still feels like a loss because the relationship has changed. And so you're grieving what once was, even though the person is still alive, even though there's so much to look forward to because the relationship is changing. For many, the experience is very much that of ambiguous grief. And because grief is so different, like there's so many different types of grief, and the same is true when a child is leaving the home because there's all these different dynamics. When our oldest left in the months prior to it, I was like, I'm not going to be sad at all. And I kept thinking, is there something wrong with me that I'm 
I'm not worried about this. I don't think I'm going to be sad. I think it's going to be exciting. I'm really excited for him. I can't wait to go back there. So he went across the country. He went to Georgetown University. We live in Southern California. So, I mean, it wasn't like a quick flight. It was a long flight. It was far away. And he was going to start in the fall. And then suddenly in like, I think maybe May, he decided that he was going to go early. And that kind of caught me off guard. So he went in the summer to get ahead with some of his credits. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm fine. Sadness still hadn't set in yet. For me, sadness did not set in until we were on the campus moving him into this tiny, dark, dreary, dreadful, itty-bitty campus dorm room. It was so gross. It was so hot, so sticky, so small, and like these two tiny little bunk. You know, I just was like, oh, God, this is, oh, this seems so uncomfortable, and it's so far away, and he doesn't know anyone. And like, it really started to hit me. And Brock's a pretty sentimental kid, as it is. And something about, you know, while we're moving him in that day, I'll never forget it. I just, he had this quality to him, this this young man who we were taking to start his college career. He suddenly that day didn't look like a young man. He looked a little scared. He looked like a little boy. And that kind of ripped my heart out. And then there was this moment where the sun was setting And I was just like, you know me, like, I don't like to feel sadness. I don't like to feel it. You know, people are like, oh, you got to sit with it. You just got to feel it. You got to feel all the feels and allow yourself to be sad. Well, I don't like to do that. I like to avoid it. I like to run away from it. I like to distract myself. Like, I really didn't want to make it worse. I didn't want to feel like some people, they just like listen to sad songs and they you know, write poems and they do all these things that you know it's going to make you cry harder. Like, why would you do that? And I decided when I started feeling sad and emotional, I decided, okay, I'm not going to let him see this. I'm going to stay strong because I don't want him to feel that emotion. I don't want him to feel the heaviness of that. I don't want him to feel guilt around that. I don't want him to have to worry about me. I remember when I moved to Southern California from Michigan, I remember my mom breaking down and crying, and I remember just feeling so much guilt over that, and I wish she hadn't done that. Mom, if you're listening, I love you. Like, I get it now. But at the time, I was like, why couldn't she just, like, told me later that she cried, you know, because that was so heavy on my heart. So I was really determined not to let Brock see how sad I truly was. And so, you know, the sun is setting, and it's, like, time to give him a hug, and I'm just trying not to think all the thoughts. But as I'm hugging him, I'm realizing he's never going to sleep under our roof again. He'll never live with us again. This is goodbye to our baby. This is it. He may never even move back to California. Like he could meet a beautiful girl here and end up living across the country. Like there's so many unknowns and they were like, like rushing through my head as I'm just like opening up my arms to give him this hug. And as hard as I was trying not to let him see me cry, you know, I was crying, but, but not heavily, not like weeping. I didn't do that until we got in the car, you know, but the sun was setting. And then I saw him just like walking down this driveway to his 
little dorm room and it was oh that was it was so emotional and I was not expecting that was not anticipating that and then going back home to Southern California I was really not anticipating how different the house felt it's crazy I've only got two kids but it was weird suddenly there was just the three of us and it just felt like someone was missing all the time and you would go to walk past his room and you'd see an empty room and it would just like put this huge knot in my throat and it really hit Brett hard like Brett was he really struggled but one thing that we did that helped a lot and I don't know if your kid will do this but Snapchat was like kind of a big deal at that time I mean Snapchat still is but whatever and so Brock would kind of document parts of his day for us and share that on Snapchat. I want to say Snapchat stories (laughs) on Snapchat, right? So he would send us snaps and, you know, we got to see him like face to face and, and we felt very connected because of that. And that really helped us. And as with many kids, when they go away to college, especially when it's away from home, statistically speaking, the number of kids that experience heavy homesickness, like I can't remember what the statistic is. It's crazy high, the number of kids who tell their parents, I hate it here, I miss home, I want to come home in that those first couple of months. It's very, very normal. And that's a struggle because you then ask yourself like, you know, because you're missing them, so you want them to come home. And I kind of think it's a mistake. I think every kid's different. I think it's important to see if they can get through it, to see if you can get through it, to just try. I mean- Obviously, if your child is suffering, if they are severely depressed, etc., if you're worried about them, well, then, hello, bring them home. I get it. But it was hard, and it was hard for Brock, and we had tearful conversations, many of them, where he was, you know, really felt alone and felt homesick and felt out of sorts and didn't feel like he fit in there. And, you know, and before long, that changed. But there were times where it just took everything in me not to say, well, just come home because we miss you too. You know, it was really hard. And okay, so when did it start to get better? It started to get better because I had planned to do things that I knew would keep me busy. I had planned things that I had been putting off because there just wasn't time, right? So when a child leaves, you've got all this extra time, whether it's more time because you're not driving them or going to different sporting events or just whatever it is. Like, you know, kids take time, even adult, not adult, but even high schoolers, they take a lot of time. And so I remember thinking, okay, so when he leaves, that's when I'm going to do more hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatments. And that's when I'm going to practice roller skating. Like I set up some things that I specifically was waiting until he left so that I would have something to look forward to. This seems like the perfect place to take a quick break. Let's talk about adult beverages. Specifically, let's talk about wine. We're going to talk about dry farm wines because let's face it, not all wines are created equal. And on this show, you know I am dedicated and devoted to getting you to do things that are just a little bit healthier for you, but to still enjoy life. Like life is too short not to do the things that you enjoy. And there's a lot of research and science out there to suggest that a glass of wine is actually really good for you. But let's face it, not all wines are created equal. So is alcohol healthy? That's like saying, is meat healthy? Well, it depends. 
all things, it depends on the source. That's why I have dry farm wine on my counter. It's why that's the wine that I have delivered to friends because I care about their health. It's why when I go to a restaurant, I bring my own bottle of wine. I bring a bottle of dry farm wines. So what is dry farm wines? It is a company based here in the United States that imports from a bunch of different wineries, small family-owned wineries throughout Europe. So it's not just like one winery. What they're doing is all the work for you. They're doing testing to make sure that all of the wine is pure, 100% organic, and that you can actually taste the difference. As a matter of fact, you'll feel the difference. Now, I know this is true for me, and it's true for almost everyone I know, everyone I know who has tried this wine talks about the way you feel so differently when you drink this wine versus most domestic wines, which are filled with additives and preservatives and junk. And then we wonder why the next day we have a headache or feel foggy or have a migraine or just don't feel good. Like I never used to drink wine because I didn't like the way I felt until I tried a bottle of dry farm wines. And again, it's not that it, dry farm wines is a particular brand of wine. It's that they've they've sourced the best wines, the best European wines, and they've done all of the quality testing to make sure that there are no preservatives, no additives. It's less than one gram of carbohydrates and less than one gram of sugar. Now, there aren't very many alcohols. In fact, are there any alcohols that you can say that about? I don't think so. In my opinion, this is your healthiest option. Now, here's the way Dry Farm Wines works. It's a subscription. So you get six bottles of wine. And when you use my code, which is dryfarmwines.com forward slash Shaleen, you're going to get an additional bottle for just a penny. Now, they will give you a variety of wines. You can do a collection of you know, you're six, you can break that up any way you want, like three red, three white. And if you find one that you love from a particular winery, you can work with them and customize your order. So maybe it's like all red from that particular winery, or you can do all whites, or you can change it up each month. Believe it or not, you're going to go through six bottles very quickly. <laughs> and if you don't, you can gift those. It's just a, a great way to make sure you always have the healthiest wine available. Listen, dudes, girlfriends, If you're going to enjoy the occasional cocktail, I'd like to encourage you to try a healthier alternative. Go to dryfarmwines.com forward slash Shaleen to enjoy an additional bottle for just a penny. All right, now back to the show. The other thing that really helped was Brett and I being able to talk about this. Now, that's tough. If you are a single parent and it's an only child, you have got to do some planning beforehand. And if you didn't do that and you're in the middle of this now, well, then you've got to take steps. And I'm telling you one of the best things you can do is speed up the process by going to see a therapist about this grief that you're feeling. It will speed up the process. I promise you that. this Everything gets better with time. But a big piece of this is allowing yourself to walk through the grief and to let go, to accept the fact that your child is still your child. They will forever be your child. And the relationship isn't gone. It's just different. It's growth. And it's a beautiful thing. And the longer you hold on to the pain in the past and you wallow in it, the harder you're going to make it on your child. You will stifle their growth. Your grief, if it's known to them, if it's felt by them, will impact their potential. So it's very important that you don't lean on them for emotional support. 
that you don't share with them how much it hurts that they're gone. Of course, it's okay to let them know that you're sad and you miss them. But if you place too much grief and pressure and emotional strain on them, all you're doing is limiting their ability to reach their full potential. And I know you don't want to be selfish like that. It means you've got to be strong and it means you've got to take care of you and it is not your child's responsibility to make you feel better. And guess what? They probably aren't going to call you enough. They're not going to check in often. They're going to forget. They're going to be so busy. And if that happens, it's such a great thing. It is such a positive thing if they get so busy that they forget to call you, that they forget to check in. Don't give them grief over that. Don't give them a hard time about that. You continue to reach out to them. It's a good thing that they are experiencing the world. Allow them to fall. Allow them to fail. Allow them to make new connections, to be busy, to experience life, to figure out things. And remember what you were like at that age. That's probably the best advice I could give you is I kept thinking, okay, what was it like for me? What would I have wanted from my parents? What would I not have wanted? And what what kind of advice did I not want to hear from them? And where was I at at that age? And so try to imagine what you were like at that age and what type of support you would have loved. If this season of parenting is around the corner for you, it is so important, I'm telling you, to start preparing now. So you have to anticipate that so much is going to change. So you want to start putting pieces in place before you become an empty nester. For example, when all of your kids are gone out of the house, like your friend circle changes, the restaurants you go to change, And you will suddenly have all this extra free time. And I know it doesn't seem like you will. You will. You just can't even imagine how much kind of forced structure you have when you've got kids. There's so many things you have to do at specific times. And it might sound like, oh, gosh, I cannot wait. It just sounds like freedom. But it's weird. And when you don't have that kind of structure, depression and sadness, sadness that leads to depression can happen pretty fast. Structure keeps us moving, keeps us going, keeps us focused. It keeps us on our game. It makes us feel normal. Think about that. Have you ever been on a vacation where you suddenly feel a little out of sorts and it's because you don't have your normal routine, your normal structure? That structure is so important. So if you're anticipating being an empty nester, you need to start to figure out how you're going to keep structure in place. So maybe every day at 8 a.m. is when your kids were up and getting ready and leaving for school. And maybe that's, you know, you were there with them in the morning or maybe you drove them to school or maybe you made them breakfast or whatever was your routine. You need to do something else now at that time and not just go and think to yourself, oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to be able to sleep in. No, don't do that. You definitely need that structure. You also need to start making connections, social connections that aren't connected to your kids or your kids' activities or your kids' school. I know you feel like you're going to be friends with these same parents forever. You won't be. You just won't. It's also essential that you put some of these plans in writing because it's it's a very different process to say, you know what, when the kids are gone, I'm, I'm really looking forward to starting a garden. I'm really looking forward to getting in the best shape of my life. That's different than saying, I have a goal of getting down to whatever percent body fat by such and such date. Like I need you to come up with a very specific goal 
When little Johnny starts school in the fall, away at college, I am going to enroll myself in culinary school. Like, I want you to specifically write down something that you're going to start and something like a goal for yourself, not just a, I'm looking forward to, but like a specific goal, something that you are going to work on and work towards because growth is so important. If you're wallowing in the sadness and the past, then you're not growing. And if you're not growing, then you're dying. Boy, that was kind of harsh, wasn't it? Jeez, simmer down, Shalene. You know what I'm saying? Like it's what makes us feel alive. And I want you to feel that. Growth can happen at any age. Look at Marge, my mom. She's 74 years old and she just got Zumba certified this month. She's so excited about her Zumba gear. She is so excited to start teaching. Growth needs to happen throughout your life. You are never done growing. And I want you to look forward to that. And I want you to put specific plans in place. If you are married and you are the parent who got so wrapped up in your kid, and you know dads are just as guilty of this as moms, making your child or your children the center of your universe being so hyper-focused and so overly involved in what they were doing and who they're talking to and all of their sports and activities and and every single waking moment you're worried about them and thinking about them, that has become a full-time job. It's a job that you are going to get laid off from. You're going to get fired from that job. Your services are soon no longer going to be needed. And if you're living your life that way, now is the time to pull back to spend less time worrying, less time over-involved, and start developing your relationship with your partner. And if, if you don't have a partner, if you're not married, then you've got to start developing your own independence because your identity right now is wrapped up in that job and you are about to get laid off from that job. So then what is your identity? What does your day entail? Who are you? What purpose do you have in this world if the thing that you have been doing for the last 18 years, you're no longer doing. That can be a real identity crisis. Expect that. Know that that's coming and start planning for it. That means pulling back a little bit, land the helicopter, start investing in yourself. And if you are in a marriage, it's time for you to get to know your partner Start relying on them. Start connecting. Start doing your date nights now. Do not make the mistake of saying, once we're empty nesters, that's when we're going to get reconnected. That's when we're going to start doing date nights. That's when we're going to get to know each other again. Because I've heard from so many of you who you expected that would happen, but one or maybe even both parents were like so wrapped up in the kids that once the kids were gone, it literally felt like a death. And we know that the divorce rate when there is a death, is very, very high. And sadly, there are many marriages don't survive it. And and it's because it's not the kid's fault, that's for sure. It's because there was never connection. There was never any emotional intimacy between partners. The intimacy was with their children. You know, there was an intimate family relationship, but there wasn't a an intimate relationship between the parents. So what can you do about that? Go to a marriage counselor now. I had a great couple on my podcast a couple months ago, and I've heard from so many listeners who have gone and done their weekend retreats, and they've said, in fact, I got a message from my girlfriend in Michigan. 
she's at the beginning stages of her second marriage. And she's like, I just want this to be such a strong foundation between the two of us. And I heard that episode. I looked them up. I went and did their marriage retreat weekend. She just said, we walked away feeling so much more connected in every couple should do this, no matter what state your relationship is in, you will walk away better for it. So, you know, start doing those things now. Don't wait. If you're hearing this message and you are not yet at that stage, now is a time to start planning, making those connections, creating those hobbies, new habits, thinking about how you're going to structure your day, getting reconnected to your spouse or your friends or even yourself. And lastly, for those of you who are now empty nesters, some advice I have for you. Number one, get excited. Like it gets so good. Yes, it's a little painful at first. It hurt my heart. How long? I think it's different for everybody. I know I started to feel much better about Brock after, let's see, probably like two months, two, three months You know, I mean, you're always going to miss them. And every single time they leave, your heart hurts again. Eventually, he transferred and went to UC Davis, but which is in Northern California. And it's hard every single time they leave, but it gets better and better and better. I think that the first child leaving is probably the hardest because it's your first. It was a little easier when Sierra left. And I don't know if that's because she moved out and just moved like an hour away. So we knew we could see her more often. But it was also a difficult transition because when Sierra left, now we were suddenly and officially empty nesters. And I have to tell you, I got over it pretty quick. <laughs> it's kind of cool to be able to walk around your house and, you know, plug your ears if there are children in the car or if my kids are listening definitely plug your ears. But like, it's great. You can have sex in other rooms if you want. Brett and I just got like much more romantic with each other. There's more room. There's less clutter. The house is clean. It's quiet. For Brett and I, it was like, oh my gosh, this is like it was when we were dating, except we've got a lot more money now. (laughs) We can afford to go to dinner and buy nice clothes. Like it was so fun. I mean, we are still kind of in the basking in the light of it. Like we're going to be traveling and leaving in just a couple of weeks and we're going to spend a month traveling abroad. I mean, these are the things we dreamed of doing. There are so many things that we just didn't do when the kids were here that we get to do now. We don't have to make dinner every night. We don't have to have certain groceries in the house. We have time to do things that are more indulgent. Like we could go get a massage sleep in on the weekends. We can watch whatever TV shows we want. Like there's so much freedom in it. We have become so much closer. I mean, I really feel like we have become just the best of friends. I mean, we obviously we were very close, but with the kids gone, it's like now we are just like, we are each other's everything and it's awesome. And I freaking love it. But I also think one of the reasons why we're in this situation and it is because number one of our attitudes you will receive what you believe. And we both believed, we both would talk about like, oh, it's going to be great. And even though it was sad, before it happened, we were putting plans in place. We were thinking, we were planning the things that we wanted to do. And we were talking about the things that would be different. And we were we were making plans 
to move to the beach, for example. We knew, okay, when the kids move out, then we're going to sell our big house and we're going to move to the ocean and we're going to travel around the world. Of course, the pandemic hit, but like, here we go. Now we get to do those things. There's so many fun things for you to look forward to. And it's true, you're never done parenting, but I've done some episodes where I've talked about how important it is to allow your adult children to be adult children. It is very tempting to want to bail them out financially, to fix their problems, to tell them what to do, to tell them, you know, whatever. We just firmly believe we had 18 years to get it right. And every single year was critical. Like we had to teach our children that they could do it on their own. And we we didn't teach them that. We let them experience that. We let them prove it to themselves. And we want them to know from the time they're very young that you're going to be able to figure this out. Yeah, it's not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. So what? Who cares? You can fix it. It's not the end of the world. You're alive. We're all alive. And at the end of the day, that's kind of all that matters, right? Like, so anything else, we can fix it. You can fix it. You can get through this. But once they're self-sufficient, once they are supporting themselves, we don't dare, we would never dream of telling them how to live their lives. You know, people will say to me, like, how do you feel about Brock living with his fiance before they get married? I'm like, he's an adult. How do I feel about it? I feel like he is a very wise young man. I think it's great. I really do. I think it's awesome. I think that too many couples don't know who they're getting married to. And I would much rather them do that first. I think they both have amazing partners. I think it's amazing that Sierra decided to do two years of school and then start her business. I think that's amazing. I'm never going to tell my kids that they can't do something. They're adults. They're not children. They're my kids, but they're my adult kids. And Brett and I both feel very firmly that no matter what they do, we support them. If they want our advice, then they will ask for it. And there have been times where we really, really, really wanted to give them our advice and we asked if we had permission. But you've got to be super sensitive to that because it's their life. It is totally their lives. And we're not going to try to shape it or control it. We want to mentor them. We want to guide them, but we don't want to control them. We don't want to direct them. So the mentorship and guidance is really no different than the advice that we might give to a friend. In fact, it's no different than that. More often than not, we're waiting for them to ask for our opinion. If it's something where we are worried they're about to make a big mistake that could cost them, not like a big mistake, like, oh, that's not something we would do because we don't agree with it, but like that could end up hurting them or they're about to make an uninformed decision, then we might ask if we can share our opinion. So for example, Brock and Taylor were looking at buying property, buying a house here in Southern California and- we would have loved to have said, no, you, you absolutely cannot do that. But that's not our choice, right? So I just try to take the lead as my parents do and did with me, which is they would say, okay, that sounds cool. Consider this, consider this, consider this. So as long as you know all of your options, just make an informed decision. And so we sat down with Brock and Taylor and kind of explained, okay, so here's what you're looking at and here's the consequences and here's what could happen and here's what might happen and here's how all of that works and here are our recommendations, but you know, it's completely, it's your money, it's your decision, but here's some more information so you can make an informed decision. That's all. But whatever decision you make, we're cool with it. It's your life. It's your money. And I think that's really important is to remind yourself 
that you have done your job. You've done a great job. Were you perfect? No. Were we perfect? No, absolutely not. But you did your best. You did your best. So take a deep breath. Remember that some of those tears that you're going to feel, they're going to be happy tears too. I do remember thinking that when I was crying, especially, you know, again, in that parking lot scene as the sun was setting in Georgetown and I'm hugging my my son and I'm thinking I'm never going to see him again. I do remember that the tears, they weren't just sad tears, that there was a happiness there too. Like I was, I remember I've, I recorded a podcast like that night and I remember feeling happy, like we did it. Like, you know, we couldn't have been perfect, but this is a great kid. And wherever your shortcomings were as a parent, your kid made up the difference. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't doubt yourself. You don't need to doubt yourself because you have an amazing kid. You've done an amazing job. You've done the best you possibly could. And you've got to believe in that child now, that adult child, adult child, no, adult kid. You know what I'm saying? They will always be your kid. It's a season. It's a season of life. And in different seasons, we find new passions. We find new joys. We find new hobbies. We find new purpose. And I want you to look forward to that. All right? I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Kristen, Shaleen's podcast manager. Look at you. You made it all the way to the end. That's awesome. If you love this episode, which I'm sure you did, why don't you go leave Shaleen a review? She would love to know which episode it was and why you liked it. What hit home with you? Shaleen literally reads every single review. She loves hearing your feedback and she uses your comments and your ideas for future episodes. So go leave a review and while you're at it, could you check to make sure you're subscribed? That way you will never miss a single episode of The Shaleen Show, which we release on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday every single week. Now, if you need a little bit more podcasting to fill up your time on Tuesdays and Thursdays, did you know that Shaleen has another podcast that she co-hosts with her son, Brock? Yep, she does. It's called Build Your Tribe. And that podcast is all about business and marketing, but also devoted to helping you make more money so you can live more life. If you need Shaleen all the time, and you're the ultimate lifer, then you have got to check out The Shaleen Show on Patreon. Shaleen is so personal. She spills the tea on everything that she can't on her regular podcast. And you also get bread. Completely unedited, unfiltered, and hilariously confident about everything. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash the Schleen show. Anyways, thanks for listening. And remember anything that we reference in this episode, including the links to our show sponsors and links to the other podcasts can be found in the show notes below. 